0: If you're not spending time with the right people and the ability as a leader to see this guy needs me today, this girl needs me tomorrow. Whoa, where'd that come from? This person needs me right now. All right, hold on. Like, you're now the priority. You're going to miss that stuff.
1: Firehouse Vigilance presents The Weekly Scrap, a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Weekly Scrap, number 46, I'm very excited. We have Benjamin Martin of Embrace the Resistance. If you do not know who he is, then it is time to climb out from under your rock. He's a captain with his department and one of the most sought after speakers on the subjects of leadership and culture development. His leadership articles have appeared in Fire Engineering, Fire Rescue, FDTN, ISFSI, Firefighter Toolbox, Firefighter Wife, presented with FDIC, Firehouse Expo FRI, and so many other places. Uh needless to say, um, I'm telling you this, you're a subject matter subject matter expert on leadership. I'm really excited about to pick your brain today. And so my pleasure to have you on uh, Weekly Scrap number 46, Ben Martin.
0: Well, thank you so much. That was entirely worth the $50 I paid you to say those nice things. So thank you very much.
1: Absolutely. Uh, is it Benjamin or Ben? Which do you prefer? Because I see both everywhere.
0: So I like Benjamin, but I, I have a bad habit of uh, shortening people's names, so... You won't offend
1: me if you call me Dan. Okay, I'll stick with Benjamin then. Uh, to everyone watching live, if you have questions for Benjamin, please do not hesitate to send them in the comments. Uh, I will throw them at him and see what sticks. And did I miss anything in the intro? Is there anything you needed uh, to add?
0: No, no, maybe strike subject matter expert, but I, I tend to dabble and make a lot of mistakes, so I learn a little bit. That's it. That's the
1: key. I think learning from those stakes. I like, the deal is, is that when I do the scraps, I really try to do research on the person coming on and really try to uh, get questions that are directed at there. And brother, you are a subject matter expert on leadership. So I know you're being humble, but I'm excited about this. Well, thank you. So we'll start it off easy. And uh, just for those listening to the podcast, uh guess kind of give us the brief history of embrace the resistance, where it started, where it came from and uh, how it's changed through the years.
0: So, I actually like answering this question more and more as time goes on because it's really neat, uh, especially as I'm traveling and I bump into people that have an interest in doing the same. It's like, how do you get started in this? Uh, so the first thing is you have to be uh, equal parts fool and equal parts courageous to actually put your thoughts out into that kind of digital platform because it's, it's there. Uh, and if you ask anybody that's doing what I'm doing, they've got scars. They've, they've lost things. Uh, there's a cost to this. But it's worth it, especially when you're connecting to people about something that's really important. So for my particular thing, I was a young company officer, making young company officer mistakes. Um, I'm a type A, go get it, really high standard, like really too high standard kind of guy. I'm totally into the job. Every weekend was a class, every um, conference I could make. And that created issues at home that I wasn't even aware of. And that's how into the job I was. And I was fine as a company officer probably for like the first six months. And then I wasn't. And I was, in, I was in deep water. And the things that were getting me in trouble weren't had anything to do with my competence of forcing doors or being in charge of a fire scene. Uh, it was all the people stuff. And maybe I was okay. Maybe I wasn't. But all it took was one guy on a downward spiral in his personal life. And I went for the ride with him. And I hit rock bottom with my reputation was destroyed. So uh, I started looking for answers and I started trying to figure out reading leadership stuff. So I got at mark Van happen stuff, which I love, uh, Frank Fiskuso, all, all those staples, all those guys we look up to the, the guys that I'm standing on their shoulders, so to speak. Sure. Uh, but I couldn't find anything from the narrative, um, about the mistakes i had made. I couldn't find out, like, it's almost like you're doing an after action report. Like why did the fire not go the way we, we thought? Cause I thought I was putting water in all the right places for this guy. Um, And I mean, I've been over backwards. I tried to be empathetic and compassionate. I didn't have experience with his specific circumstance, but I thought I could at least project myself enough into his shoes that I could figure out what help he needed. Um, But nothing, nothing, borderline irrational at times. Um, And I'm not blaming him because he's not only responding to stuff that's going on at home, but he's also responding to me.
2: Right. And I made
0: things so much worse by really not having a clue of what I was doing on the people side. I was a new dad. Um, I hadn't had any problems with my marriage yet. They were brewing. I was just ignorant of them. Right. And everything just kind of flashed right at the same time for me, my personal life, my, uh, work life. Uh, I got moved to my assignment because it didn't go so well. Uh, and then, you know, you can only hear so many rumors in the room about you that, don't really bear any resemblance before you get kind of fed up. So you've got a a choice, right? You can give up and there are plenty of leaders that do. I mean, there are plenty of leaders and they don't give up rank when they give up. They just kind of stay in place and poison the well of wherever they are. And I didn't want to do that.
2: Yeah. And I didn't want
0: to do that. So I started writing and I couldn't get my stuff in anywhere because it was too long. I think the first article I wrote was uh, impact versus legacy right? Confusing the two and the issues it was causing at home. And Kurt Isaacson was nice enough to post it on his website, uh, but I wanted to main control, maintain control of my stuff. And it was too long for most people's blogs to share, but it wasn't long enough for something like fire engineering. So I just started a website and started posting and sharing that stuff. Uh, and the name is what I get asked a lot about. You know, why do you calling race resistance? It's nothing to do with politics. It's just right. a really shitty name in a crappy time in America. Um, but where it actually came from was when I was in a training session serving as a lieutenant in charge of crew academies. So we're teaching hose lines and streams and nozzles. And I'm in a small group. And we're flowing smoothboard nozzles. and uh, We're adjusting uh, the stream, showing them that anything that's not fully open is broken with a smoothboard. And then we started talking about nozzle reaction. And one of the recruits, he said something to the effect of, so basically, nozzle reaction only exists if we're flowing water. And I'm like, yeah. And so he's a, he jokingly suggested, well, you know, just never open the nozzle. And I'm like, yeah, but there's so many negative consequences to that, right? Fire gets bigger, pump burns up behind you. People could get that. And I'm like, we need to plan that when we sign up for this job that there's going to be resistance on the end of this whole line, but that is our job is to put this fire out. And I started thinking about it. it's the same with leaders, right? When I make a decision, whether it's popular a lot or popular little or more likely unpopular, there's going to be resistance to that. So I can absolutely leave my nozzle shut and not make any decisions, but we've all worked around those leaders that right. can't make any decisions and they're infuriating. Um, and I would rather work with a leader who's making the wrong decisions and no decisions at all. So embrace resistance came as a result of that. Like as a leader, you can expect resistance and that's okay. You're going to get your critics. You're going to get your naysayers. Uh, you're what could have should haves you know, those guy's on the sideline and, and chiming in and that's okay. Like if you can pay attention to what you need to pay attention to, because there's, there may be something in there you need to learn from, especially if you're hearing the same thing over and over again, from different sure. sources, but a lot of it is just static, right? So it's about kind of adjusting your antenna and figuring out what does the picture of yourself really look like as a leader and how could you improve, um, and so once I started writing in that and started getting feedback, then I just went down this rabbit hole of like this is really interesting to me. I can I was nerding out over engine stuff and like this is what I wanted to nerd out. So one thing led to another, uh, which led to a degree, and now I'm working on my PhD in industrial psychology, which is just basically groups and motivation and engagement morale and like this is really cool stuff for me. Um probably easier to stay an engine nerd, but this is the stuff that seems to matter. Um I would never say more than an engine, but it's really important. And I think we talked about this before. And like, you know, as a leader, you can expect 90% of your problems to happen at home, either in your personal life or at the firehouse. Firegrounds, like nothing unites uh, a group of people, even if with different perspectives on things like a crisis. Right. So you're not going to have these issues on a fire ground. And if you do, they're usually skill-based, right? You didn't force that door fast enough. I take you up to drill school, we force doors, problem solved. When you sit down with a guy and he looks at you and he's like, my wife's leaving me. She's taking my kids. I'm having to work a second and third part-time job to pay for the lawyer, just to have a chance to be in their lives. And then a young company officer turns around to him and says, "Yeah, that's that, like I get it, and that must suck for you. But listen, I still need you to show up and give 100 for this job." And looking back on on saying something like that, like how how not stupid, but how arrogant is that? Um, I found myself a lot going listening to somebody and saying you know what you should do trying to give advice because we want to fix problems as sure, leaders.
2: Sure. I don't know.
0: Like I don't have any earthly idea how to fix your specific situation. Why do not I just shut up and listen to you talk? Cause that's all you were asking for in the first place. It was just a safe place to talk about what was not going well in your life and somebody to care about you and then rally you when the crisis hits, when the bell hits and we go to the fire ground, make sure you don't get yourself killed. Um, because that's the other part of this thing. Like when things aren't going well at work or at home, your attention span, your ability to do these 360s and uh, all this, you know, survival profiling, all whatever it is about paying attention to things that are happening and trying to kill you, you don't have the capacity for that. Uh, and there's no such thing as leaving what's happening at home at home when we come to the bar right. It stays with you, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. And it's just like a computer with too many uh, applications that are running in the background, right? You lose track of all the applications that are open and the overall performance of the computer goes to crap.
2: Yeah, and, and that's your
0: brain. Eventually so it's gonna crap. Really having some Yeah. And so having somebody in your life that cares about you and that can kinda of help minimize the you know, those things that aren't a big deal, and then maximizing the ones that are and then helping you get through that, close that program down, and then you can start something new and pay attention to something new. So I feel like that's the long way of answering this idea of what embrace resistance means because when you go to somebody and you're like, tell me your problems. And then you sit there and you work with them day after day, whether it's personal and professional, that doesn't exist a lot in the fire service. And I wish it did. Um, maybe your experience has been different, but overwhelmingly it doesn't. No, I think and you're, I think you're it's really just like we, and, and I think, you know, we joke about like 90% of the, of the work in the fire department gets done by, you know, 15% of the people I'd say the same is true for caring right? Like 90% of the people that need caring about are are getting cared for by 15% of the workforce, of the leaders. And it's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. But what a worthwhile endeavor to do. Um, And so I know at some point somebody's going to get something they don't like said about them. At some point they're going to hear the word no. And I wanted there to be a place that they could go, they could get a little bit of motivation. Um, Not because I'm at the top of the mountain saying, get up here. It's because... I'm drawing out the path I took to freaking tredge up that thing, right. and I'm only halfway. And I'm like, I can't necessarily get you up there, but I can get you to me based on the path I've beaten. And then you go from there your way, and maybe I'll end up following you because that happens all the time, which right is on. cool too. So, like I said, uh, no shortage of opportunities to do some really cool stuff, and it all circles back to the people.
1: It's awesome. All right, Randy Moore said, "What's up, guys? Hi from Tennessee." More, that's a great name. I like it. Hannah Elliott said, compassion, it goes a long ways. Uh, Jared Sergi piped up and said, what a stud. Ben is legit. So there you go.
0: <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a brother in arms right there. No doubt about it.
1: Uh, a quote I stole from your Brothers in Battle podcast, I believe. Uh, you mentioned this already, but 90% of the problems fire departments have are not on the fire ground. They occur in the firehouse. Now, I know this is a deep rabbit hole, and you've already started to touch on it, and it's a very broad question. Uh, major cause, and what's the antidote, according to Benjamin Martin?
0: So, I I think what drives this is when you look at the traditional path of a firefighter. So, you get hired, and if you're getting hired, and you know nothing about the job, which is a large portion of the folks that we're hiring. That's the person who's seen, like, Chicago Fire, or Rescue Me, or a YouTube video, or some kind of recruiting video, which like makes it look awesome. And it was shot with a drone and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go be part of that. So then you go through an academy, hopefully, and you spend three to in our department, it's like eight months now, almost nine months learning the job. But the whole time you're doing skill-based stuff, right? Because all we're trying to do is drill down fundamentals so that, you know, when all that attention span, like when all those windows in the computer get maximized to fire, 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 you still understand how to pull the hose on your door. And then we get to the firehouse, and we want to be good at our job. Like, we want people to trust us. They're not going to trust us unless they know that we're going to pull through and pull our weight. So we focus on more skills, and we get better and better and better better skills. And, like, when I look back, uh, it was almost 10 years between my volunteer experience and my professional or my paid experience before I got promoted. And probably 95% of the classes, 95% of the books I read, were all tactics and skills and fundamentals. Very few of it was leadership. And, I mean, listen, if I sat down and I'm like, here's a human resources manual, read this thing, <laughs> you'd be like, pass. Right. And that's the problem. But here's where it comes in. These really passionate firefighters who are into the job and learning all this stuff, they grow, and they want to take on new challenges, so they try out a leadership role. And if they don't make the shift about treating their people like they would learning a new piece of equipment on the engine, then they're going to revert back to either how they were led or they're not going to do anything and they're not going to make decisions. So if they had a good leader and they got a good head on their shoulders, then they can usually navigate the waters and they'll make mistakes, but they'll do fine. But if they've only had, you know, not great leaders, then those are the examples that they basically follow. Right. Um, So the antidote to that is obviously what we're talking about here, which is we're going to be very intentional about learning about people. And so what does that look like? Well, you learn how, how they were. It sounds, you know, simple, but that's exactly right. Um, when I went to the recruit Academy after having learned all this stuff, like I completely changed, uh, how much we tried to get them to chew at one time. And then when we put them under pressure and when we didn't and how we did our coaching and feedback sessions and incorporating videos so they could see themselves because their mental picture of what they did wasn't accurate. And I understood the brain, uh, physiology about why that was happening, all that kind of stuff. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to be a master in human resources. It just means you have to care enough to learn something you don't know anything about. And I'll give you a perfect example. When I went for lieutenant, I didn't get it. Right. So I've heard no a lot more times than uh, I've heard. Yes. So twice for lieutenant, i to tried three times for captain. and probably more if I ever go get promoted, which is okay because you learn something every time. And the first time I didn't get it, Uh, by virtue of getting an interview, I got access to all this leadership development training, which is the second problem we have, right? We do skill-based stuff. And then we don't take the time to provide anybody as an organization any leadership training until they're already in a leadership role. And so for me, some of this training was coming six months, nine months down the line. I got a class on how to write performance appraisals for my group of five folks three months after I wrote my first performance appraisal. And two of those guys were in the uh, promotional process. They deserved a really rock solid performance appraisal. So if I hadn't gone out on my own time and tried to get some kind of class on it beforehand, or at least talk with some people who had written them in years and understood what was a good one and what was a bad one. Like now they're suffering because I don't know my job. And that's no different than me not knowing how to pull a hose on in my book. So I start taking this class and then I get to take these self inventories, right? All these tests about yourself that you would never want to take, right? These things that people do all the time on Facebook, like what kind of rock star are you? You answer these stupid questions and you get something that doesn't even matter. Right. But if I asked you to take that same 10 minutes and actually do like something like a conflict dynamic profile or Myers Briggs or um, some of these other things and actually learn something about yourself, you'd be like, you know, we're the fire service. We're not like anybody else. Like, Nobody else leads people they sleep next to and nobody else leads people they eat to and like right. we've just built ourselves up in this head and people are people. Like I can go out and I can speak with somebody that works in the insurance industry and I make the same jokes about the same like Bob's and George's, you know, and they laugh because they <laughs> know those guys and they're and it's no different. Right. Whether we're riding a fire truck or we're writing a memo, it's it's no different. So I take an inventory and I go in and it's about how people look at you um, and how they respond to what you're saying. So basically it's like a social influence kind of test, right? Uh, Not really much anything to do with conflict, just how successful are you at influencing people? And she goes through this test and she goes, "Um, has anybody ever accused you of being arrogant before? And I said, no, of course not. They'd be wrong if they did. Just joking, right? Trying to break the tension (laughs) in the room. Uh, And then she got serious and she's like, okay, has anybody ever told you that your standard's too high? And I'm like, mm, mm, okay, go on. Like, and she reached down this list like she knows my deepest, darkest insecurities. Right. And like somebody had written it for her. And so I, I was like, all right, well maybe this test isn't as much you know bullshit as I thought it was. Right. And then two weeks later, I bump into one of the guys that sat on the interview And I'm like, hey, can you give me some feedback? And his feedback, hey, man. He came across as really arrogant in your answers. <laughs> he came across, and I was like, oh, don't. I'm like, hey, did, did, I, did I also come across as knowing it all? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, son of a gun. So I actually printed out and shared with him the list, and it was like a 90% match. And after that, I was hooked. I was like, holy crap. A bit of Myers Briggs, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, dude, I get people now. Because one of the probably the early pitfalls I had was. I tried to make everybody love this job as much as I did, but also in the ways that I loved it, right? Throw ladders, you know, bang doors, stretch hose, repeat. And that's okay if if people, I've learned that it's okay if somebody doesn't want to throw ladders for eight hours. That doesn't make them weak. It doesn't make them bad firefighter. That's just not them. Um, If they can turn around and pump out a PowerPoint for you, for your presentation, for your captain's interview, that's pretty damn valuable. Now it's not, all that their portfolio should be, but it's a different piece. And so once I took a step back and and stopped holding everybody to the standard that I hold myself to, uh, I really learned to start leading people from where they were instead of where I wanted them to be. And mm-hmm. that's the difference between me standing at the top of the mountain and yelling at them to get up here and then me walking down the mountain that I so painstakingly climbed and being by their side, talking to them. And I may not be helping them physically climb the mountain. But I'm there with them. And if I see them stepping in a hole, I can talk about, hey, I stepped in that hole. This was a consequence of that. Let's go around this one. And hopefully I've built enough relationship and influence with them that they listen to me. And if they don't, I wait. I don't get mad at them. I don't judge. I wait. I'm like, well, it took me three months to get out of that hole. I'll be here when they emerge. And maybe they come out in two months because they knew what it was going in and they made a poor decision anyway. But that's what all of this is. So the, the antidote is that we get serious. And we treat people as an investment. And part of that starts with investing in yourself, with doing these training, reading these books, listening to these podcasts, getting perspective about how people treat people. Just like I would watch, I'd go to you know a fire ground commander class and listen to a guy that doesn't work in my department talk about how he runs a fire scene. You're like, yeah, I like the way he said that. I like the way he does that on the board. It's the same thing with people. You go to leadership class, you're like, I like his perspective on how he trains his people. I like his perspective on, why he didn't do a coaching memo instead he did a coaching moment, stuff like that. Right. And you just tools in a toolbox, that cliche. And you'd be amazed at the end of your career, what kind of tools you'll have. And if you're in an organization where you're like, Nope, not interested in a leadership opportunity because they're not supported or um, it just, there's no extra pay or whatever it is. It's just not worth it to you. You can never, ever, 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 ever go wrong. Investing in other people. You just can't. Like that. And even if you're not seeing an immediate return, you have no idea the difference you're making in them. And what's really cool is when I get to go teach this intoxicated leadership class, which is what I'm most excited about, about staying in control of your emotions and using this idea of emotional intelligence and really building deep relationships that you can then leverage to tell people deep, dark things about themselves that you've noticed. And they thank you at the end of the day, instead of giving you the middle finger that's the kind of stuff that the feedback I get from that class is as much. It's probably like a 50, 50 split you ha- that helped me get promoted or that was the obstacle in my way to this assignment I wanted or this fixed a relationship at work. But the other 50% is like, I understand my daughter more or yeah, yeah. like I had a quality conversation with my wife and that like, I mean, I don't even know their daughter's name, but just hearing the idea that they could have a more meaningful relationship with them just because they're more aware of how they're coming across to her. That's huge. No,
1: that's
0: um, and you talk about mentoring. Like that's, that's what we're trying to do here. It's just, and I think all that's mentoring is, it's just sharing perspective about the challenges we face. Cause I'm not like maybe how they play out. a little bit different. Like, I don't think the guys in the sixties had to deal with the worrisome of the social media, like getting sure. fired for that stuff. But they had, you know, somebody maybe wrote something down and it got shared or somebody had a photograph and it got shared. It just played out a different way. But to think it's novel to me, to think I've invented something, some new problem, (laughs) is a a pretty deep exercise in vanity, right? And the fire service is nothing new. It's all cyclical. It just comes back around or it's like a pendulum. It just swings one way and it swings the other. Um, And to have the, the patience to sit in the middle and wait for it to come back around and watch the upstroke and learn what there is as it shows its ass to you and then come back around and see what the other ass cheek looks like and then wait <laughs> center. That's pretty powerful stuff that will help you in your career and it will help you at home, which is what matters probably most. You. Well, it doesn't probably, it matters more than anything else. It's
1: I was going to say, I love the analogy <laughs> of the mountaintop and coming down to help them up and showing them the pitfalls, which I still do. And then you, then you did the ass cheek pendulum and that was even a better visual. <laughs> So that's my new favorite. Visual. Yeah, that's, that's what
0: happens when you, when, you, when you drink too many of these. Is you right get the ass cheek pendulum. You get the ass cheek <laughs>
1: pendulum visual. <laughs>
0: uh, Hannah, oh, I can't h- wait to draw that. That'll, that'll be a good meme. I like it.
1: Uh, uh, Hannah Elliott, she always asks questions of the guests. She's one of my best question askers. Uh, says, aware of how you come across, can you talk a little bit more about that self-awareness?
0: Yeah, so what's interesting is when we're talking um, communication, we tend to think about language, right, what you're saying. But communication as it's measured, when we look at research, only about 7% of what you say, the words you actually choose in that moment, are registering your message, which explains why when you get a text message and you're looking at your phone and you're like, I can't tell if my wife is pissed with this or if she's happy. Sure. Because it, it's robbed of all the context, so it's like, well, what's the context? Well, it's body language. It's nothing that you don't already know. Um, it's your tone. It's everything your mother taught you when she wanted you to be a good human being. Treat others as you would want them to treat you. Uh, but then when you say stuff like, "Don't look at me with that tone," hmm, <laughs> ever heard that one before? It's oh, like, yeah. "Don't, don't look at me with that tone." You're confusing two senses. Um, But that's the brain, right? The brain is wired threat first, friend second. And that's the people that got those wiring reversed, they got eaten by something or they ate the berry they shouldn't have eaten or they didn't run away fast enough from whatever was chasing them because they stood around too long. So our default is always run away, not stay. And so leadership, like learning how you're coming across to folks is what allows them to not want to run away from you. And you, you know this, you've experienced this where someone gives you a great piece of advice and you're like, okay, great. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Right. That's not communication. You didn't act on it or somebody tells you something and they're right. and Here's a kicker. And you're like, gosh, dang it. I hate, I hate when this guy <laughs> is right. And, right. and you're like, why would they feel about you that way? Like that's huge. Okay. And that's unfortunately most leaders are not aware of how they come across. And it's just called social awareness. That's all. I mean, that really is all it is when we talk about emotional intelligence, but just a simple thing of it's been a little while since Corley talked. I'm going to shut up now. Same thing. Car, use car salesman. Would use on you too. Right. right. Like he who speaks first, like loses. And, and it's, when you look at conversations, you can tell how successful they're going to be by how much talking the leader does. And the more talking they do, the less successful they are. How ironic is that? No doubt. How ironic is that? Right. Because if you're trying to fix their problem and you're, you know, muttering on because you feel all this pressure with these beagles to fix problems, you never heard them in the first place. And that's without even getting into the brain part of this. That's just fundamental truth. So it's not uh, necessarily what you say. It's how you say it. And that's what your mom tried to teach you, too. And that's all, that's all that is, that emotional intelligence piece. Um and when we train people on this, it's not teaching you to recognize, you know, that this is closed. This means the person's insecure. It's to understand what happens when their face lights up and, and when they they close down. And not even physically, you can just see them shutting down. And you've probably seen that watching somebody like that dude is totally checked out of this conversation. Or you've seen when somebody's been uncomfortable in a conversation. I've been in conversations that I'm uncomfortable with. And you're, you're like, I just want to run away from this guy. right? Uh, and I can't. Right. And you can't. Um, and I've actually had a conversation that I thought was going swimmingly. And the dude got up and left the conversation because it was so uncomfortable for him. That even though I was like laying out fact after fact after fact for him, he just didn't want to hear it. Um, and so it's, it's all of those things. Speaking a little bit less, listening more. Know being thoughtful about your words. Like, I I would not want you to waste water on the fire ground, right? I wouldn't want you to flow half your booster tank to the left of the house when the house is on fire. So, why not use your words the same thing? More is not less. Like, let's hold those words until the moment presents, and you'd be amazed. I mean, you can actually physically see people when they get the epiphany that they were looking for or they feel. Um, what they were trying to get and a leader actually delivers it. And that's all the kind of stuff that we're trying to teach in our class is just how to connect with people. Um, And the irony of it is once you've connected with them, you can actually use uh, a little bit less caution. Like, so think about your best friends. Okay. If you were sitting here just over watching kind of what I had going on with my best friends, you would think we hated each other because it'd be a bunch of FUs and it'd be like, you know, picking on people's wives and mamas. And sure. I mean, it's just brutal, personal stuff. It's and like, we laugh about it. It's, and we love it so much so that next time I see him, if he doesn't say, you know, hey, shithead, you're like, are you mad at me? Yeah. Like, what's wrong? What's like, you wrong? get used to that kind right. of stuff. Yeah. And so, and that's the kind of thing, the irony of this thing is that the, the closer you are to someone, the, the more you can actually push those buttons and get away with it. And the reason you can do that is because they're not defensive. And if you've ever tried to have a heavy conversation with someone and it didn't go well, it's probably because you, you've sprayed your words recklessly and you didn't even think about it. And so what I would want you to do is challenge yourself about what could you have done better. I always try to tell people, like, you as a leader, you signed up for this. Right. Your job is the 51% of the shit sandwich. You don't get to take a small bite and then blame the other guy for not biting off his like your job is to get him to do that. If that's what it has to be, or your job is to think of a different way to not even have to do that in the first place. Like your job is to be creative and strategic. It's not to get them to do a hundred percent of what you want them to do. It's to do the job in a way they love it, that they feel compelled to come back to in a place. They feel safe doing it with people they love. Like that's your job. And that's not in any job description of a leader I've ever read for a fire department. That's exactly what it is. And you may be part manager, but You're a leader of people like you are a steward and the most important resource that you're given when you're a leader is people. People. When you're a firefighter, it's an apparatus. It's a station to clean. It's closed. It's uniforms to take care of. When you're a leader, it's hopes and dreams and wishes and goals and insecurities and things that that are messy. And you got to sit there and fiddle through that stuff. And so you better believe taking the time to think about what you're going to say about that stuff is huge. And sometimes not saying anything, Is the appropriate thing. Right on. And whether you're taking that back to think on it or whether it's just like, you know, being next to somebody side to side is all they were looking for. And if you think I'm bullshit and you think about how good hugs feel in moments where things are bad, like that's that. Like that silence, just sitting with somebody can sometimes be the same thing as a hug. So, like, that's all all those are kind of examples of things that I see in the best leaders. Um, And when I do my research, I see them time and time again in papers. That, like that's the stuff that builds loyalty. That's the stuff that builds camaraderie and teams and buy-in and engagement. And that's the stuff that will weather the storm when things aren't going well. Um, and you'll quickly realize how much of, as a leader you've built. Like in my instance, I thought I, I overestimated how much I had built. Way overestimated um, because I was flying high in the arrogance zone thinking I had knocked this out of the park. Like I knew I would. Not so much. <laughs> no, I, but I love that better part. You learn like I knew I would. Yeah. I love
1: that. That's perfect. Uh, yeah, I <laughs> will put you on the spot. On the you said Myers Briggs. I love Myers Briggs. I make my guys take it at the uh, when I was a company officer. Um, what is your four letter code?
0: So I, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, it's E N T P. I believe. E N T P. It may be a J, but it it's definitely an E. Um, so I don't remember what all they stand for, yeah, I mean, but I what don't... I will tell you is like. I, I joke that I'm an extroverted introvert, so I love people, uh, and then I don't, right? I go to party, high five everybody, talk, you know, tell stories, and then at some point my body's like, nope, we're done here, and I just, enough. like, ghost, yep. like, s- see you, and I just leave. Um, what I really love is small groups, like one-on-one, two-on-one, just being able to just talk uh, and get personal, and I think where that stems from is I'm not, as I've gotten older and gotten appreciation for what life has i don't want to be a surface guy i want to i want to dive deep and i can't dive deep in a group of 20 people right um, i can go out and teach for eight hours love it laugh my ass off i go back to the hotel room and it's like like i'm just exhausted, exhausted because yes. i want to deliver such such a program for them that, that's memorable and it actually helps them improve something uh, and then probably the, the the biggest part of my Myers-Briggs, the part that gets me in trouble is the intuitive piece. So we talk about, um, you know, people that are strong in the fire ground are the ones that recognize patterns and they recognize changes in patterns, right? So those are the people that can see what's coming before anybody else knows what's even happening, right? They are literally knowing so that way they can plan how they're going to react instead of just showing up and reacting. Sure. Uh, and that is the gift and curse I seem to have in my career is I see that in people. I see it in processes, especially. And like, I can accurately name this won't work. This is why. And in my early part of my career, I would just lay it out there, you know. And then when they, and when it didn't work, I'm like, told you. And that's the piece when you're like, well, how do you get somebody to, like, how do you improve your communication ability? Right. That's a completely different communication, right? And then trying to influence them differently so that we don't have to go that route. But still I'm understanding that you don't have all the answers. and that. So that's the speaking less and just kind of paying attention to stuff with that. Uh, oh, so goodness. it's neat because I get to problem solve a lot. Hold on, right? And I love challenges and I'm curious right. as hell.
1: Right up your but alley. I, yeah. I
0: run my mouth sometimes and, and get in trouble with that a lot, unfortunately. And I still do. Like, don't think anything I'm saying for emotional intelligence means that I have nailed it because <laughs> I will... I will still post stuff on Facebook. I shouldn't. I will still send emails. I should. I certainly like. My, that's where my wife is. Make sure she doesn't come over here because she will tell you the God's honest truth about Benjamin. Uh, I, I don't say all the perfect things, Alfred. Right place, on. But I try. We'll like, get her I, on. I we will so, get her on
1: here sometime and get the true story. The real, the real, the real story oh yeah. behind the oh yeah. yeah All right. <laughs> I got Michael Oswald. I'm going to try and get this question to you right. It's a longer question. It says. As a newer officer, what's the best way to get past the negativity when you're doing your job the best you know? Seems older, salty members have issues with newer officers. He asks, is it best to not say anything and push forward? And if you want to elaborate, Michael, I'll, I'll expound upon it, but throwing that at you, Benjamin.
0: Yeah, so there's, there's a few things there, and, and hopefully some of this will kind of scratch the surface of what you want. Um, this is a perfect example of, you know, loving the job differently than you. So what you have to do is it's easy to walk into a group where they're not doing what you think they should be doing and go, Oh, they're lazy. They're disgruntled. They're checked out. And I've worked with enough guys, uh, both as a captain supervising lieutenants that are retiring or as a lieutenant supervising firefighters are retiring, or even being peers as a firefighter people retiring. You like I'm over, I'm about like two thirds to my career. And I definitely look at things differently. And there are definitely things that I get excited about now that I didn't before. Like, I can remember the first time I got a commercial fire alarm for like a smells and bell. And it was like, what you would have thought the world was in. Like, I'm just so excited over the moon. And now it's like, gosh, damn it. Home Depot, like you put your stuff on and you it's not interesting to you. <laughs> And then that rookie shows up and you're like, whoa, 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 like slow. To, and you catch yourself doing the same thing. Sure. So understanding that they've, they've earned a little bit of grace in that department um, is important. Now, that's not an excuse, right? If they're being toxic, then they're being toxic. And that's your job as a leader to step in. But you've got to understand when you walk up to somebody, if I walked up to, you know, you in the street and I've, I've never seen you before and all of a sudden I'm like, you know what your number one problem is. And I lay <laughs> something that may even be like the spot absolute, on, right? like spot on. You're going to be like, one, who is that guy? Right. Two, do I even care, right? Maybe I shake you for a few seconds, but by tomorrow morning, you've forgotten me. And that's the same thing. Like you're this new leader. You're They know because guess what? They've seen this movie before, right? They have been around for 25, 30 years. They've seen a new guy. They've seen a new officer. They've seen a pro They've seen, you know, people get sick and die. I mean, they've they've lost people. Like they have so much life experience. And for you to think that you can size them up in a 24-hour period, even in a few months, is way off. And you're only at the surface. So how do you get through that stuff? Well, some toxic people have to go. And the idea here is that, you know, I will love you as a person. I will respect you as a person all the way to the door, right? And then on the other side of that door. There's, there's no point where you know where I start doing this number and I start shit-talking you as you're headed that way. Um, and I've fired recruits before. And it's like you're ending somebody's dream and it's hard. But to offer them dignity and compassion the, the whole thing is really, really important. right? Because maybe they'll figure it out later and they'll come back to the fire service and maybe they don't. Right. And who you are in that moment says more about you than it does to them. But with the um, the older gentlemen, it's older women, it's about realizing what value um, – they have in their minds for themselves and what value you have to them. So I'll give you an example. As a lieutenant, I had a guy that had almost 30 years on call Like he's calling his shot. I am going to retire in 365 days, 12 seconds. Right. So one of those people got a program on the phone, whatever. shows up to work, does the bare minimum. And I've got a rookie. So I can either like obsess over this guy and the fact that he does the bare minimum. Or I can go over here to the guy that's excited to put his suspenders on for that commercial fire alarm. And I can work with that. And it's like, which one am I going to be able to put my hands around and mold the future of more? Him or him? And it's easy, right? It's the rookie. Sure. Um, what opportunities are there that you can do in that toxic place? Is there a committee you could sit on and meet other people and get charged up there? So for me, it's going to conferences. Like I'll show up and, and the only problem with teaching leadership classes is the presentation you get is could be wildly different because if I got in a big fight with my wife getting on the plane and now I'm there yeah. to teach the next morning, like you're going to get a different me than if I had just gotten the phone call that I was promoted. Um, I had to do a class where I got off the plane and I turned my cell phone back on and it's miss message, miss message, miss message, voicemail, 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 and you know that's not good. And I listened to the first one. Friend shot himself. Oh. You know at work. And it's like, and then I had to teach four hours later, um, a class and you're like, so, but that's people, right? So with this 25 year guy, um, I sized him up and I talked with him, like, what can, what can Lieutenant Martin do for you to give you the best experience to end your career with and go on a high note? Because unfortunately, so many retirees have like really terrible leadership experiences the last couple of years. And that's not surprising, right? Because the people that are leading them are still on the job. And how could they relate to somebody that's going into retirement when they themselves aren't? So they're thinking about like, I want to come to work and I want to be safe because I want to get home. And I don't want to tear me because I'm old and I can't heal the same way and I'm not calling anybody old I tore a peck, so I get like the idea of like once you realize you're not Superman you're not super we're all mortal, than right? yeah. and so their wants like what safety and security you can offer them is wildly different than the guy who comes in doesn't know shit about the job and just wants to make sure he goes home the next day like the safety and security you provide him is wildly different than what you can provide this guy and so it was very few moments where that 25 year guy, really taught something to that rookie. But when I sit back and I reflect on it, there was a lot, a lot of life experience that was getting passed back and forth between those guys. And some of it was career-based and some of it did involve, like, I didn't like working for this guy or, like, I don't like the direction the organization has gone through. And I'm not one to sit and let somebody, like, tear people apart or tear an organization apart. Sometimes there's a need to vent, and then you're like, all right, all right, let's Let's move on, right? Right. And you get back to task, and you're going to break it up. Um, And they may be right, you know? So it's not even like you can say, hey, that's not true. Oh, yeah, you're right. Keep going. That guy isn't. But what you always have to remember is if you're doing the right thing, you're not focusing on this guy, and you're focusing on the rookie. When all that's done, you can go over here to him or her and clean that up. You know, George has been on a long time, you know, Alec. Some of the stuff he says I wasn't here for. So I can't speak to that. Sure. Um, doesn't mean it's not true, but what I would want for you is to learn from some of the things he did. So when he said he didn't like the way leader X did that, just remember that when you're in my role, Yeah. because you know that, that, I mean, you're training your replacement basically. Right. So just understanding that trying to put your thumb on these folks is not going to be your solution. Um, my 25 year guy taught my rookie how to read a, a, a map like you talk about life skills right just first time he'd ever seen a book of maps hilarious one of my favorite favorite memories um, but if you let people surprise you they'll surprise you and my 25 year guy was a, it was the guy that took him out and trained him on the attack the, uh, pumper when nobody else would 25 uh, year guy I caught him talking to the rookie moments on calls when it didn't go so well picking him up cheering him on stuff that i like if i had just completely alienated this guy and written him off i might have missed right so it's not that we're ignoring this person and we're saying hey their shelf life is expiring let's put all of our stock in here it's just understanding that this is more the motor this is a little bit more steering right and it's not trying to get them reverse Uh, and i think allowing that kind of grace Don't hold him to a standard, right? He doesn't get to go to an F player. If he's happy being a C player and he wants to, to go out that way, then that's okay. Because not everybody loves his job the way you do. But if he goes home and his family loves him and he loves them and he's in their lives and he gets a pension at the end of that, like that's a leadership win as far as I'm concerned. So again, just give people a chance to show up for themselves and they'll surprise you and usually in good ways. Nobody likes being micromanaged, right? No, absolutely. So don't micromanage that guy, especially if you're a younger, newer officer, right? Ask them questions, engage them, show them that you value their experience. Even if you don't agree with them, even if you're at the end of your conversations, you're like, he's so far from what I think. It's still valuable to listen to him uh, and being able to talk to them. And some of the most interesting conversations I had about, should I go to captain. Came from that 25-year guy. Just listening to him talk about it, um, and his answers. A lot of times, were it's not for me, but it's definitely for you. Like knowing you and, and seeing what you've done, it's definitely for you. You should take that next step. So again, just you know, allow for some room for some people to, to come in and actually teach you something, and you'll definitely be happier at work instead of trying to have all the answers for everybody all the time.
1: Like it, I like it. Uh, Hannah Elliott, coming back at you again. She said, "What do you think of the analogy?" That a leader only has so much capital, and depending on the battles they choose, they can either build or lose that capital.
0: All right, fake news. Let's go back and do the butt-cheek pendulum. I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> that seems to be fun. That's
1: a lot no, better one. I'm
0: just kidding. Um, Yeah, absolutely, right? So let's – I mean, just like we talked about before, if you've got a booster tank and ours is 750 gallons, where are you putting that water? Because until somebody else pumps you you get on an a hydrant, like you've got a limited amount of stuff. It's
1: finite, yeah. Um,
0: I could tell you there's – yeah, I could tell you there's 24 hours in a day, and, and that's cliche, but that's true. There's only so many things you could care about. That's true too. Um, but I know in your brain, like your span of control, that three to seven optimal five, that comes from neuroscience because they know that your brain, for most people – on tasks, they can jump around. Notice, I'm saying jump around, not focus on, because you're not hitting all four tasks like this. Okay. You know, you're putting one out, and then you're putting the second out, and then you're putting the third out, and but you're always pulling one back and paying a little bit less attention to it. Um, all of that is finite, right? You run out of that, and energy is what this job requires. And when you throw, think about the time that you got mad about something, and your friend called you. And you were like, let me tell you about this. So you spoke at an elevated volume. You spoke at an elevated pace. And at the end of it, you're like, can you believe that? And you're like, you're breathing fast. And then they're like, no, I can't believe it. That's crazy. All right, I'll call you later. So then the phone rings again. It's your other friend. And you're like, let me tell you. And it's not nearly going to be as animated sure. because it basically takes energy You've been to, to you. do it. And that was the whole point of what we're talking about letting somebody vent is like letting them. It's basically off-gassing, right? Let them off-gas and then it with some water. Right. Take a window out and get all that crap out of there. Keeping in the room is just asking it to flash or asking it to hurt somebody. So it's the same thing with them. Um, And if you're not if you're not spending time with the right people and the ability as a leader to see this guy needs me today, this girl needs me tomorrow. Oh, where'd that come from? This person needs me right now. All right, Hold on. Like you're now the priority. You're going to miss that stuff. Um, So I always say, like, pick a priority and then pick a backup. When you talk about work, like plan 80% of your day and then leave 20% to chance. And if you fill it with a call or you fill it with people or you fill it with whatever, then you're good. Um, But that's where your passion projects come in. Like when you read about all of the innovations that come in stuff, a lot of stuff that's outside of the fire service, it's all in passion projects. It's all in off moments where you weren't heavily concentrating on something about work. It's you're at your kid's soccer game, and somebody said something, and it was like, Oh, oh, wait a minute. And you go back to the drawing on the board, and you're like, That's it. Like, you're it's Eureka. Eureka, yeah, Um, because that's yeah, because when you're like your brain is driving 80 miles an hour, you're not sightseeing anything, okay? But you take those back roads with the slower speed limits, you get to see a little bit more. You're like, I had no idea. And I can can tell you, here's a perfect example, right? So, I told you I was a training lieutenant, so at one point, I had five training instructors, and we had two overlapping recruit academies. So in between the two recruit academies and my instructors, I had 48 people that I had to have answers for. And so you can imagine if I tried to touch all 48 people with answers and guidance and energy, like it's not going to get done. Right. So who do I focus on? Like I picked the four instructors and then I'd always ask who needs a little bit more help. Because I know that that is the drag on the instructor. And that's my job is to try to take the biggest bite of the shit sandwich. And I'm not saying that person's shit sandwich. I'm saying the fact that they need more time and their time sink could be very disruptive to the group, of other instructors or other students. So that's where I'm going to go. And that's where I did. And then, so like SCBA week was like, we always knew somebody was going to freak out always. So I'd always come over, bring my gear. And when they inevitably freaked out, they'd come with me and they'd spend a few hours with me one-on-one. And then if there's a couple people, we do two-on-one and then we split them and do one-on-one. And that was my, I wrote off that day. I pushed all my projects, all my administration, all that stuff away because I knew that was important because if I couldn't get them past this, they were going to have to exit the program pretty quickly. Um, and I, we never lost anybody, no matter how bad they freaked out. We always got them because we were intentional about we were really putting the water uh, right. on the problems that we had. So that I mean, that's the biggest thing. And you you know yourself and you just got to understand where your sweet spots are, what you're most passionate about, because those are the things that take less energy and you got to know what you don't enjoy. Doing. Um, and so like, this is kind of related, but unrelated. And um, I, I've been humbled at times that I'm not a great follower. And uh, maybe I thought I was better. Maybe I thought I had a, a better answer or I was just better, period. Sure. But that's not, what, that's not what a leadership position is. It's not always leading. Like getting on somebody's hip and supporting them and following them is, I think, sometimes even more important yes. than having an answer as a leader and be able to lead from the front. I love that. And as I replay some of my biggest conflicts and my biggest mm-hmm. mistakes, like being a better follower almost always was the fix to that problem. Not having a better answer or being better at my job or anything. It was just helping them. And what I mean by that is like if you've got a guy in my specific situation, right, he was not good with organization, not great with administration, but operationally, brilliant. All right. So what does he want to do? Where is his sweet spot, his passion stuff? Right. He wants to teach, all right, but he hates planning the class. He hates putting together the paperwork for the state to do it. So guess what Lieutenant Martin has to do for him, right? The, the bitch work, the stuff you don't want to do. But imagine if I did enjoy doing that. Like, and now what a perfect pairing that is, right? Sure. He's out in front teaching, which if I didn't enjoy doing that, but I liked doing the paperwork, like what a great duo. And yeah, so that's like, a, a, a good duo. leader follow fit. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's the same thing. It's just being able to, to recognize like, this is a place. that's not going to take a lot of energy from me. So I can spend more time here and it won't affect these things or this is not something I'm comfortable with. It's not something I even enjoy. I'm going to have to put all those other things on the back burner and I'm going to have to focus on this thing. Um, and it's just like most of the fires you're going to go to room and contents, goes out with tank water, no victim rescues, not terribly, you know, complicated, especially if you get more and more of these under your belt, but throw an experienced command team or an experienced fireground, you know, companies together And then have somebody fall through the floor for the first time and have a real mayday, a brother or sister dying on the other side of a wall, and watch that shit show, right? Because that is something that people care a lot about, but they're not comfortable with because they don't do it a lot. And that is a tremendously – that's a big disadvantage for you as a leader when you're working on something that you care a lot about, but you don't – you're not really good at it because that's when you become emotional and that's when you get frustrated and that's when you'll take risks you wouldn't normally take uh, because you don't know what else to do. It's where you'll give up when you shouldn't and you should be pushing through. It's where you'll second-guess yourself because you don't have the competence right. established yet to know this is the right path and moving forward. Um, so anyway, like all of all of those things, watching, paying attention, to those things, uh, for me over the years have come, like, as a leader, this is where I want to put my time and energy. And when I got promoted to captain, got sent to a, a station that I was the sixth captain in seven years. So just like think about what I'm saying with that right. statement, right? No doubt. Six and seven, right? We've and so automatically, it's like, yeah, it's like, hmm, what can I fix, hmm, hmm, right? And then so you go down there and you talk with the people, and you know whether you have a, a list of expectations you want to read them or a standard you want to you know, encourage them to, or things you want to change immediately, like, you know, new captain, new lay, that kind of stuff. Um, don't just, just see what the priority is. It's like doing a three sixty on your lap. Don't commit just cause you, the first bedroom you came up on has fire. That's great. But there was three people at the backside of that room that needed to out of the window. Sure. So get around the situation first. Uh, how fast did I do that? Six months. Six months of working with all three shifts, all three leaders, all 22 people, uh, talking to the previous captains, talking to my administration, talking to our external stakeholders. What are your concerns? And then formulating a strategy. And it didn't come into place until I actually brought uh, the leaders and the people that I felt were leading from an informal position. I'm not calling them informal leaders because they're leading. Right. I, we're not getting into this. They have a badge. They don't have a badge. They're leading and they're winning in my book. Right. So they're leading from an informal position. We bring them together and we do a, a, like a, a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, um, you know, opportunities and threats. And eight hours later, we have a vision for what this team looks like. And I'm able to put input from the external stakeholders and allow them to have perspective on what the challenges are that I'm facing and what the organization expects of them, which a lot of times have never been communicated to them before. Because why? Just do as I say. Why should I tell you why you're doing this thing? Oh, because you might actually start to care more right. if you're new. Well, you, you may know. feel compelled to because it's something you tie into, a value you share, any of those items. Um, and then we have a plan and then we move forward. And now I can set expectations for you and you can set expectations for me. But I wouldn't show up someplace new and be like, thou shalt do you know, X, Y, and Z, when maybe they're already doing that stuff. And that's just a capital, like I get like one shot to open my mouth, that, that right. like, proverbial, you know, better to be fool than to open one's mouth and Proof. remove all doubt. Right. Like I get one first impression for that. Uh, and so my impression was I'm going to ask a lot of questions and in a way that nobody feels like I'm second guessing them or I'm, you know, I have an ulterior motive. Because like that's definitely something that was in my jacket before. Like people just didn't trust my motivation. Just naturally curious guy, fairly intuitive. So when like I'd ask one question and then a question later I had an idea, like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's like hold up. so you just gotta slow that down. Right. Yeah. And just listen a little bit more. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that that knowing where your capital is and building your capital collectively and then spending it, it's just like you teach your kids saving. Right? Like if you're always spending it, you're never going to have anything for a rainy day. And I think something we're going to talk about later is like, how do you build credibility? Well, credibility is that savings account, right? right Consistent on. actions. You pay into that account. Um, you know, you take it in the face with the team. You know, you go to bat for them. You, you do something they weren't expecting. That's good for them. Like all those little things, all those little interactions. And it's not the grand gestures that you think it is from watching Hollywood movies on leaders. A lot of times it's just simply because I said I would. I did it because I said I would, and I followed up on it. I made sure your leave was good. I made sure you got a day off. I made sure you rode in the spot I promised you'd ride in, whatever it is. Like, I got the dinner I promised you I'd get. Little things like that pay in. And then when you make a mistake or you get it wrong, like you put too much energy in the wrong thing and you neglected something else, people remember, nah, he's paid in. He's good. But if you're always running a deficit because you're spending it as fast as you get it, right? Like, there's a point where they're going to be the bank and they're going to take that credit card back. And they're like, "No, sir, no, no more." You.
1: You've just defaulted. And
0: then what do you do? Right. Yeah. Basically, yeah, defaulting leadership. So that's like, then what do you do? I like that. Term. So that's that's yeah. So that's yeah. Toxic leadership, defaulting leadership, right? The, well, the the bankruptcy of leadership. That's that's pretty true. There right? we go. So that's the kind of stuff to be strategic on the fire ground, Be strategic with your people. That's all. And I'm not saying be political. I'm saying be strategical. You wouldn't try to negotiate with a fire. Right on. You know what you have to do. But there may be a different way to, to put it out, right? You, there's a tactic you could do, like, you want to do this one, but I'll do this one instead. Right on. Um, but you're not giving up anything of value to that fire. And it's the same thing with your people, right? um, I don't like the word politics. I certainly don't feel like feeling like a politician because I don't have the energy because I think a lot of it's fake. Right. So, right. like, just care and, and, and put water in the right places at the right times and you will have a very successful career as later. And listen more than you talk. That's the biggest
1: thing. Dude, I love it, man. I love the questions we've gotten from the uh, everybody that's watching. Um you've done an awesome job doing that. I had eight eight topics to talk about and I'm on number two right now. So all that being said, I'm gonna <laughs> i I'm, I'm gonna move on from that. I, I A, I'm really enjoying it, so I hope you will come back and we'll do this again. But I'm gonna move on Absolutely. There's always a part two. And go for the book or books that you think firefighters should read.
0: So uh, I've previously mentioned that I'm a a neuroscience guy. So there's a guy by the name of David Rock, who's a PhD neuroscientist um, and he's written a a couple books and I don't have the names off the top of my head. Um, But one, uh, one of them is called quiet leadership. And it's this idea using you know, understanding that when you say these words, you do these actions, uh, you threaten this thing. It creates this response from the person. So it's really understanding the influence, the cause and effect relationship. Uh, it really talks about setting up this leadership style where, I mean, you're going to laugh. You're going you're gonna to think it's like sissy where you're basically asking permission from the follower to do stuff. But really what that sounds like is, you know, you've got a problem, Corley, and you're like, hey, can I talk with you, Ben, about it? And you're like, yeah, lay it on me. So you talk and you talk and you talk, and I listen and I listen and I listen. And then when you're done, I say, may I offer you some advice? Right? That's that's asking for permission. Or I say, Corley, it really sounds like you're struggling at home because maybe you've invested too much in the fire service. What do you think about that, Corley? And then listening, right? And just like maybe that's not it. Maybe it's something completely different, um, but not rushing to apply a Band-Aid on that. And reading through his examples and moving through his model, it's not something I've got memorized, but it's just, it's so well-written and intentional about, you know, why you would say something in a moment. Just, I think it's very helpful to people that are for getting started. Um, so that's a really good one.
1: Is that rock? You I've read said? probably
0: that... most like David rock. Yeah. It's called quiet leadership. you
1: saying Roth um, or rock.
0: And he's got rock R O C K. Okay. Sure. David okay go ahead. Sorry. Um, and there's, <laughs> And there's another one that he wrote that I can't think of, but it it, um, talks about his scarf model. So what's interesting about the brain in in this book that he illustrates is, uh, like I talked before, we are wired for flight or fight, um, but we're not really wired to negotiate in those moments of crisis. And so we shut down or we act out and we tend to get wrong in both instances. So what he talks about is, like that wiring, that primitive brain, that still exists. We didn't like get away from that. Uh, we, we just put a whole other layer on that, that neocortex, and that's sure. what gives us our ability to reason and separates us from the animals. And in our finest moments, that prefrontal cortex stuff is firing away and like like I can shift task to test task, I can plan, I can react, I can withhold things, I can have impulse control. And then this is where the intoxicated comes from. When that's not working, your amygdala's firing because you're under duress. You're under a threat. Like, you'll say anything, do anything to get out of there. Uh, No impulse control. And I liken it to someone who's had too much alcohol to drink, right? They're up on a table, dancing, taking their shirt off, going home with a guy or girl that they shouldn't be going home with because they're married. Like, consequences be damned, right? We're just like, arm the torpedoes. We're doing this. And they go down this hole. And it's the same thing. So you're like, all right, well, what would threaten somebody to cause them to do that? It's when they become emotional. All right, well, why would they become emotional, right? Emotions actually rob the blood flow from the prefrontal cortex and fire it up in the amygdala. Um, Because fear is a pretty powerful motivator, right? What would you do if you were scared? Anything, right? Survive. So knowing what areas cause threats, and you'd be amazed. And there's five in his scarf model, which is status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness, So as a leader, if I say something that threatens you potentially in one of those five areas, it starts activating the amygdala and all that stuff. And so quickly recognizing how you're coming across and apologizing and not just apologizing like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it, but really offering a true, sincere apology where at the end of it, you're like, but in my defense, you did like, we suck at apologizing. Like if I could do a leadership class that was just called apologizing, nobody would come, but it would be really... (laughs) No one's signing in up in your life. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it really, really would. right? No so with all of that, and like an example of status is, you know, if you feel like someone's pushing back on you and you're their supervisor, does that feel threatened? Yeah, absolutely, right? Does it feel threatening to be around somebody who knows more than you about something that they're a subordinate? Like and that's the kind of stuff where, you know, somebody's talking and offering ideas and finally you're like, Hey, hey, like it's my decision, I'll make the decision. Just, just quiet. And then what is that the impact to them on that, right? Because then it's like, that's a fairness one. That wasn't fair. I was just trying to help him, right? So next time I'll let him make the damn mistake and we'll just do that. Um, Situations in which we can't relate to each other. We don't feel close to the group we're working with. Um, I don't know why he always makes that decision. I can't relate to his thinking or I don't like going to that station on a transfer because it's a he-man woman hater club and I don't agree with that. So I just don't want to be around them. Sure. Um, Shame how we choose our social circles, same mm-hmm. thing, uh, autonomy, the micromanager, <laughs> right? It just kills
2: it. <laughs> and then,
0: uh, certainty. like I joke that I used to work with a, uh, a guy who was uh, one of our bosses. And if he was drinking coffee out of his left hand, it was going to be a good day. But it was like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. If you showed up in the morning and he was drinking coffee out of the right hand, batting down the hatches, steer clear, something was going on at home, not a good day. Oh, and it was a mate, like clockwork, All left right. hand, right hand. Right. And so people like patterns, like the patterns are efficient for the brain. We can process a ton of information a lot faster if we recognize a pattern and it primes our decision making even faster, which I don't know, let's say would be really beneficial on the fire ground if we just had to stretch that a little bit. So that's what we're always looking for. And when you have someone who's inconsistent in what they do and say, and we might call them a hypocrite or we might call them, um, you know, uh, unpredictable then those are the people who are like, yeah, I don't know if I trust what you're saying or I don't know if I want to follow you in this instance because like, some days you got it and some days you don't. And it's not about right or wrong. It's just a complete lack of integrity in who they are as a leader. And if you don't trust their integrity, you're not going to follow them. No matter how much they demand it, you're going to find a way out of that because that's back to the survival mode. Um, so those are just um, you know two of the books that he writes uh, and does it. And then anything by Patrick Lencioni, anything by him is phenomenal. Um, there's a book, Lencioni. It's like L-E-N-C-I-O. Oh, Lencioni.
1: yeah, Okay. Okay.
0: Um, yeah. And so, and I don't even know if I'm saying that right. But he writes. He tells stories. He uses fictional companies and characters. And you read the whole book, and you're like, man. I know exactly where he's going with this because I can relate to what he's saying. And at the end of it, there's a whole separate breakout, um, where it's like, this is what I'm talking about. Like these are the leadership principles that I've absorbed in the first half of this book. And every once in a while, like a character will actually speak a principle and you can tell that it's building to that last chapter. Sure. Well, but it's really easy stuff to digest, uh, how to win friends and influence people. no, no, like by Dale Carnegie like <laughs> it's like this freaking thick like all right so for reference here's my beer can okay it's like this thick tiny fonts um, it's an older book so like if you're super nerdy read that but you know grabbing something that's 150 200 pages and just getting through it and finishing it and then picking up another one that's way more important than trying to get through a famous book you know that's super amounts of volumes that you're never ever gonna um, momentum. Simon Sinek is another great one. Um, I've read uh, uh, Jocko his uh, his second book. I couldn't get into his first book as much, the Extreme Ownership, sure. but his second book even talks to um, how uh, uh, what was it the duality of leadership? Dichotomy. Uh, yeah. was his second book?
1: Dichotomy, Dichotomy
0: of, of yeah. leadership, right? Yeah. And in his in that second book, he's like, ah, I think people got the wrong <laughs> message with this Extreme Ownership thing, right? Mm-hmm. This like. Win it all costs mentality. And so he talks a little bit more about the other side of the coin. And he definitely talks about following your netbook a little bit. Uh, and that's, that's all great stuff. And really, if it speaks to you, meaning you find yourself having conversations with the book, because it's challenging how right, you think of right. stuff, that's a good book for you. Right? So I could give you my top 10 list, but it's more about like, what do you need? Because sure. if you already are way ahead of where I started for social awareness, and I'm not going to Recommend a book to you on social awareness. But maybe you're missing something. Maybe I do need to hand you a book on force torture. Maybe that is what you're missing. You're too right. much of a people person, and you don't have the skill set to go with it on the fire ground. Um, so the big thing here is just keep reading. Just keep reading. Uh, readers are leaders. Leaders are readers. There, there's no doubt about that. Podcasts, videos, whatever you can get. Um, every trip to the bathroom is at least 10 minutes if it's not a number one because I'm watching videos on YouTube. like Just learning. Just listening to stuff. I probably have educated some very weird strangers that I never met just from listening to my videos to the toilet <laughs> stall, but just wherever you can get the time in to just do that kind of stuff, That that's going to pay dividends for you. Um, just understanding and admitting that you don't have all the answers to that.
1: I like it. Uh, all right. I do this thing on the weekly scrap called five questions for firefighters. It's fun. There is no right answers. Strictly your opinions. Max points are completely arbitrary. So, are you ready for the five oh, questions? Hang on
0: one sec. Correlates. All right. No, nope, hang on one sec. Uh, somehow I've got a video playing in the background. Come on, I'm gonna troubleshoot this. No problem. Why? Now I'm just curious. what What's the video going on? Is. It's our training from today. We were doing dip training, so all I'm hearing is a motor in the back of this thing, and I don't—I can't even find it right now. All right, it's gone. You still there? I'm here. All right, cool. Sorry about that. No, you're
1: good. You're (laughs) good. That's that's the best thing about live live broadcast.
2: (laughs)
0: All right, let me see if I can bring you back up full screen without losing. All right, five questions. Is that what we're doing?
1: Five questions for firefighters. Are you ready, sir?
0: Okay, unless another motor pops up. Fair enough.
1: Number one, what is the number one issue facing the modern fire service, according to Benjamin Martin?
0: Uh, The inability for leadership to relate to who we're hiring, I think, is probably the single largest thing. Uh, When when you look at, uh, you know, we call them generational differences. When you look at how kids today are growing up so heavily relying on technology and not just to look up stuff, but really for feedback, like, um, you know, telling you good job on this podcast, Corley. Like all you're really looking for is how many likes at the bottom of the screen you get. Like yeah. how many viewers did you get? Like
1: these little thumbs. With yeah. Like hands.
0: all, all that's feedback. Like I could do this great thing, but if I didn't get 50 likes on it, my world is ruined. That's how, you know, these 18, 19 year old kids think, not just teenagers. Cause our brain doesn't really start to fully mature. It's our mid twenties sure. women sooner than men, obviously. But yeah, and almost into our late twenties, it's like 25, 26, which ironically enough is why you can't rent a car even when you're 16 years old and you're licensed because they know you're going to do dumb, stupid, <laughs> impulsive stuff and they would be better off waiting until you're in your mid-20s. Um, but the, So the inability to reach people with that and I think technology is wonderful, but I also think it, it hurts ourselves. I, I wrote a thing on artificial uh, experience where uh, when I did the Recruit Academy, these, these folks figured out this really intense Mayday drill before we ever went through it because somebody let it slip we were going to be doing the Denver drill tomorrow. And the, they went and looked it up on YouTube and they figured out the answers and, and they came in and they did it the first time. And it took me 45 minutes. when I went through. Right. And they're like, well, no, you know, they, they were successful. They learned. And you're like, no, 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 this, this job is not about getting it right the first time. This job is about making mistakes in a safe space on the drill school so that when you go out and it doesn't go to plan because no fire ground has ever gone 100 percent planned. That you can figure out because you've got option A, B, and C, and D. Like, right I lament for the lack of learning that happened. Success right. was not learning, learning was not achieved. That was not at all what we were going for. Um, so, there's that piece because how that translates in the firehouse, in addition to not having that A, B, and C, is if I got assigned to your firehouse and you were the guy that taught people how to pump a fire truck, and like we didn't get off to a great start, but you were the guy, I'd have to keep coming back to you. And that would build the relationship. And maybe at one point I'm like, you know, Corley's not such a douche. Right. He's just making sure that we release people that are good. And I go to appreciate it. And then maybe next time I go to train somebody, I model you a little bit. But now I go like, all right, well, Corley's a douche. I don't want to mess with him. So I go take a conference somewhere or I look up a YouTube video and I teach myself. And without, again, building the relationship with Corley and we had this superficial learning where it wasn't just about learning how to pump the fire truck. It was also about learning Corley because he's part of my team. Right. And I've got to work with that. And this is the same thing. So I have seen it a lot lately. Also where leaders don't have the ability to relate to younger folks. And when I say younger, I'm, like, I'm talking twenties to thirties, even thirties sure. to 35. I'm not talking about 16 year old kids. Right. They just, whatever it is, the way we give feedback or, the way uh, we show appreciation or like why, right? Why is the biggest thing? Everybody wants to know why. That's not a bad thing. You know what why does? It disarms that threat thing going, why don't I know this thing, right? Right. What does he know that I don't know? And in a world where everything can be answered by looking up on Google or asking Siri, when you actually have a kid come to you and say, why did you think that or do that? You better jump all over that. No
1: doubt. Because that's a chance,
0: A, to build your relationship. But B, because he can't figure it out. And you're going to sound super smart no matter what you say. Even if you're wrong, you're going to sound smart. So why wouldn't you engage him on that stuff. And then the likelihood, if you spend time and give him a good answer, of him asking you another question, which means he talks to you again, is good. And it just builds and it builds and it builds. And then all of a sudden you've got this great thing where I can come to you and bring you my problems because it's not the first time I've ever talked with you. Like I've worked with leaders who will go to the other side of the bay – and stay on their computer, watch Netflix, and not interact with their people at all, with the exception of meals and shift teams. And it's, like, maddening to me. Right on. So a lack of – this this lack of relatability – and I, I hesitate <laughs> to just say it's as simple as generational differences because it, it's not. It's not.
1: You're right. But it's 100% This not. lack
0: of connecting is – yeah. And I, and I, and what, what I'm saying now is the same thing you're seeing everywhere. It's not just a fire service. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it truly is – a problem that uh, the next generation is going to have to figure out. And like said, the, the idea, like the folks that are leading these folks aren't even promoted yet. And so what kind of leadership training are they getting to right. think of that? Because yeah, sure. all they're going to do is turn around and model what I modeled. And if I'm outdated, it's just like buying a used iPhone, right? It doesn't have the most up-to-date software or the greatest features. right? So let's not do that. Right. Let's not waste the money. Let's save up get them some training and, and present them a brand new freaking iPhone with all the bells and whistles to give them the best chance to be successful in that. World. All right, question 2.
1: All right, well, almost I got to score you on that one, and I got to say you got minimum points because in your example crew oh, was a douche.
0: Okay. No, that's a joke.
1: I'm just joking. <laughs> that's a great answer. So, uh, number 2, what is the thing you are most excited about for the future of firefighting?
0: Ah, uh, you know, I think um, I'm going to say social media technology it's just ironic because really? I just okay. yeah. talked about how it kind of creates problems. Um, but the reason that I'm excited about it is if you wanted to connect to this passionate audience, like I, God, man, I remember the first time somebody handed me an article from Andrew Fredericks. It was like, where has this been? Right. right? So if you wanted to connect to somebody like that, and they weren't your department or they weren't your station. Then out you went to FDIC or out you went to Firehouse Expo or World or you had to go to a big conference somewhere. Uh, but the trend you're seeing, and we, we do it too, we host the Fireground Commander in March every year. Selfless plug there, right? Right on. Um, right on. Is these smaller micro conferences of like 100 to 300 people, um, where you're and what you're seeing from that is people are getting a chance to teach, and every time you teach, the more you teach, the more you learn, the more perspectives perspectives you share. Uh, the better the product. And you've seen examples of that, like uh, what Rick George does with the guys from Fit to Fight Fire, Tom and John. Right on. Right? Combining their physical fitness with his mental and tactical resiliency. And that happens over a beer or like getting together over a meal and talking about their programs and like, oh, yeah, like if we tweak these things this way, that's a kick ass program this way. Um, and getting them lined up. And then you get all these great training opportunities. So technology and social media have given us a chance to connect like this. Uh, you mentioned Jared. Like, Jared's a guy who I like his page. I don't know him. And then I start reading his stuff. And I, I literally, I think, verbatim texted him one day, get out of my head. Like, stop <laughs> writing what I'm thinking. He's and amazing, then it's yeah. like, who are you? Like, where are you? And then I find out the guy is 90 minutes down the road. Right. And it's like, oh. And the, like having him as a friend, and we've got a whole – Group of folks like younger leaders that you know we're looking for chances to step up uh, and kind of take the reins from some of the guys that are going into retirement or have been doing their, their programs for a while and we're bringing our flavor of it because again it's nothing novel it's just a flavor sure um, then like that that's really cool to have as a resource where we text each other and bounce challenges off like how would you have guys handle probie sleeping through a call or hey how would you handle a guy that's you know bringing a certain offensive bumper sticker to a station like what do you do about that kind of stuff sure so the ability to tap into other passionate people i think what you're going to see is the available pool of learning in the fire service is going to grow like exponentially because you're going to be able to tap into what's there and you're going to be able to build off of it so i think it's i think it's fantastic as somebody that didn't like his first assignment didn't get along with his first shift, just had different values and just really missed the brotherhood. You can have that immediately almost on demand. You just got to understand that it does bring you problems, right? Not everybody's an expert, even though they're an expert.
1: Right, you know, right.
0: There's uh, like keyboard warriors drive me crazy on anything. And so if that's out there and you take the good with the bad. Sure. And, um, but you can meet some incredible people. You can find out some incredible learning opportunities um, and there's just so much there to tap into And so even like going back to one of the first questions we got, like what do you do when you're in a toxic place? It's like there's always some kind of outlet to tap into. You're flowing water into the wrong room on the house. Figure out where to move that hose line and then flow water there. Put energy, put time, put passion there. And you'll get a much better return for what you're doing. And you'll be happier. And then when you're happy, you'll be even more invested in what you do. And that's all all good. So technology, social media, probably the most thing I'm excited about.
2: Awesome, man. Um, And
0: OJ's uh, roof scaling ladder. I'll give him a plug there since I was just talked to him about that. The roof scaling like, ladder? Okay. That's okay. really cool, too. Yeah. Yeah. The Pompier ladder. He's, he's bringing it back.
1: The bringing back the Pompier. Okay. Uh, question <laughs> yeah. three. According to Benjamin Martin, what is the best ranked position to be in in the fire service?
0: Holy shit. All right. So. Um, so this is like me giving you a top 10 list of books to read. Okay. Um, and I, I, I go right to this because I just used this the other day because I had a one-on-one meeting talking about what is the future look like for Ben. And uh, I told them I don't have a roadmap of I will finish as a fire chief. Like I might have when I got started in this career because that was like, ooh, ah, the fire chief. <laughs> and then you learn a little bit about what he does, and you're like, ooh, oh the varnish. Like, right, no, thank right, you, right.
1: Um,
0: but it's it's not just it's not just that. And and so what I told those the folks were uh, I'm interested in something where it's a good fit. And for me, fit looks like I love what I do, I feel like I'm giving value to the people I'm doing it with, the organization is seeing value for it, and it fits my home life. And what I mean by that is I loved going to training. I'd be happy to go back to training in the future because I think it's such a worthwhile pursuit and it's really important work that they do there. But I gave up two summers with my girls who were four and six at the time. And my wife, who's a school teacher, that was a really tough time for us for me to go to work every day over that three month summer and not be with them in the pool or to go on, you know, to limit our ability to go away and it was the same thing when I was single and dating my wife. Like I was so into the job and working. Like we never went away anywhere. We never did anything like we missed dating each other in the way that we could have, um, to start our life out, but they're completely different way because this job got in the way of it. And I don't know if I want to finish as a captain or as a time chief, but I know that I have worked in a hostile work environment and if that gentleman were to get promoted and be the fire chief, then I would want nothing to do with any deputy chief position, any part of his leadership team, (laughs) because I know it's not a good fit, right? It's not healthy. Um, But if somebody I really, really respect, like our current fire chief, but he was my first captain. I love him to death. Like, and he's earned my loyalty and I'll I'll be loyal to him past his retirement. Uh, And he's a friend. Like he stays at the helm. he's like, Hmm, Maybe, maybe I could, maybe I could do that. And so it's as much like, what are you asking me to do as it is, who are you asking me to do it with? So I think there are some people that never should get promoted at all. And that's because they're really great firefighters and they have no interest in the leadership thing. And that's okay. I guess I should say in that ranked leadership, they're, they're very much, if they're any good at their job,
2: leading leading, it from that
0: informal capacity. Yeah, they're definitely a leader. Um, and then there are people you come in and you recognize. Like, And we do this, like we joke with our recruits, like that's a battalion chief, that's a cat. Like you just see this personality right. and what they're interested in, and you're like, that's the fire chief. Like you know instantly. Um, and maybe it is or maybe it isn't, but their their perspective is going to change and their role is going to change. And um, I'm now not interested in going back to training until my kids are older. Like I don't want to go to a foyer I work with until my kids are old. And they're off doing their own thing with their friends, and they don't miss daddy. Like at some point, I'm probably going to become dad, and they're going to lose their baby voices. It's going to break my heart.
1: Right. And course. I don't want to give
0: up any summers until that happens. Right. When, when hey, they start getting the hormones and they hate me and their mother, like I'm going to the office. Like that's that's back like, to so training time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. So the best thing is where you fit, and it's not where you're comfortable. It's just where you fit because if you're stationary, you're not growing. And that isn't necessarily the best thing for you or even the organization. But, like, line up all those things and start with family first and then go from there. And you'll ultimately be way, way, way more happier. And I say that as a guy that gave everything and has almost lost his family twice. Like, you just, it's not worth it. I promise
1: you. Awesome answer, dude. Max points for that one. So, number four, best advice you've ever received.
0: Hmm. Um, you know, you know, what's funny is, uh, the advice that sticks with me is some of the worst advice I've got. It's the stuff that's (laughs) just so counter to what I thought of me at the time that it really required a lot of self-reflection and discovery okay. to figure out if it, if it was true. So, like, a perfect example is what I talked about before with doing that self-inventory and getting all this feedback that I was like, oh, this is not fun for me to listen to. Like, that's, that's an example of feedback, and, and I would say advice that I've gotten. Sure. Um, but I, I also I also had a time where I was getting uh, a gentleman asked to see me to give me some feedback before he left our department. He was a high-ranking leadership role and his opinion mattered and the stuff that he laid out for me um was just terrible it, because he was like <laughs> he, he was trying to Sorry. give it to himself oh and and i wasn't i it is it, he wanted me to be him and i wasn't him um and it started with you know you could be the fire chief if you wanted to and, no no i i know that's not my passion that's not my interest Do you really know so little about me? I thought you knew more about what I was into.
1: I'm sorry. All right. No,
0: like no. Yeah. And then it was like, Hey, so, you know, you had talked about how you were doing some um, preparation before for a promotional candidate. Well, that's something we do too. When I got promoted, there really was not a lot known about our promotional process. And so I had just gone through it. I got assigned a senior guy who was in the promotional process. He had not yet had his assessment. And, I just went through it. So I was like, I'll put you, I'll basically put you through a mock assessment. Like I'll try to ask you the same questions. It won't be the same questions, right? but right. I'll give you examples of what I was asked and then we can talk about it.
1: Yeah. The best and you this got was you.
0: about the same time I was going. Yeah. And this was about the time I was going through the self, you know, discovery with the inventory. And I was like all gung ho on, I'll call it HR stuff. It's, it's not necessarily HR stuff. Like, Maybe it's behavioral-based interview questions, which is truly kind of more HR. So you learn a little bit about that. Sure, But it's all just fundamentally still leadership at the end of the day and maybe a little bit of management. Um, And so we put together, uh, to his credit, I said, do you want to just do this for you? Or is there anybody else you know of? Because the list isn't published in my department. I don't know who's got this going on. And um, he knew some other folks, so he invited them. Right? That's his competition. How freaking cool is that? Like, and I don't even have to tell you the story. He got promoted because you already knew that right. because he made a leadership decision, you know, from an informal role. Right on. So he brought those guys over, and and all of them ended up getting promoted. Like all of them, oh, right? So now awesome all story, of a sudden it's like, ooh, special yeah. sauce, right? Yeah. And and not and not all at the same time, right? So uh, you talk about embracing the resistance. Oh my God, you'd have thought we stabbed somebody's firstborn child because
2: oh, yeah, it was
0: really like, imagine. how come you didn't invite my guy?
2: Right. I didn't
0: know. Right, I didn't know. Here comes the conspiracy um, you, theories. Like, we actually marked an engine. Right, right. We actually marked an engine out of service in the evening. Went to our training building and used a classroom because the group was large enough to do that. Sure. And people were like, "How dare you? How dare you?" And it's like, "Well, you marked out a service. To go pull a hose. Like this is a skill set he needed to work on. So I marked out a service to do the same thing." I could have done this at my firehouse and the privacy of it with just one guy, but he made the decision to open this up. So we tried to get as many people as we can. I'm sorry your fish wasn't in the net. Like next time I do it, I'll let you know. Right on. So you learn a little bit. Sure. And next time there's promotional process, you do it again. And instead of five people, you get 10. They all get promoted. Then you do it again. And now there's so many people that you got to recruit people to help do the mock assessment. So right. now they're buying into this thing. Um, and so we did it for like seven years. And I can't tell you how many folks, not everybody that came through got
1: promoted. Sure, and sure. And that's fine. But None of spots. The
0: overwhelming number, and some people came back multiple times. They got promoted to lieutenant, they came back for captain. Uh, or they'd call for but even the two stuff. And I'm not a lieutenant, so I don't know all the answers to that stuff, but like, I can throw what I think is those level questions at you sure. and then try to coach your answers a little bit, and help you explore what your perspective on those things is and use your voice to answer it a little bit better. And yeah, with practice, you definitely have better answers. And I take a lot of pride in that uh, because I enjoy seeing other people succeed. And going back into that meeting with that leader, he told me that that was an example of what counterculture looked like. And that if the organization's culture was unhealthy, he, he would want that from a guy like me in that situation. But because the organization was healthy, um, he found it borderline like insubordinate that I would even think to do that. And like, that was so far out of right field from this dude. Right. I'm like, how could you even begin to think that? And then we go down this rabbit hole of like, well, what's your motivation for doing it? And like, what's the benefit to Benjamin for doing it? And it's like, you know, at some point you're like, screw you, man. Like you're just such, and you talk about like, (laughs) you know, what can you do to facilitate a conversation? Like, I stopped listening at that point, and I went 180 degrees from anything he said in that meeting, because right. I knew I know enough about myself from having made enough mistakes that I'm comfortable with the values that I have, and and for him to tell me that investing in people is wrong, you're done. Yeah, anything no you doubt. have to say about that, I don't care. He could have given me the cure to COVID. I'd have been like, screw you. I'm not listening to you because I can't stand you in this moment. Right. Um, and and what like and so ironically enough, Orley, that's the kind of stuff. Advice-wise, I remember more than anything. Well, anything I... cliche is pretty much true, though. It's just proven with time. Right so right like, that's the kind of stuff you can you can listen. Feels so anyway, like a poker player.
1: A the poker player who always remembers the bad beats, never the big pot drags. So, hundred percent. Right.
0: I get right. it. yeah. I mean, we always obsess on the little things. Right on. Yeah, totally. Like when we do, when, I joke about this with the guys in my group when we teach a class and you get those reviews. You're scanning, like great, 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 not great. Whoa, why? And you spend the most time looking at this and you're like, the room is too cold. What? I don't <laughs> control the room in this convention center. And you're like, it's amazing. But that's what you're looking for. You're right. like, where can I get better? I'm not looking for confirmation because I'm not great. Like, I'm glad I was good in the moment, but I'm not great right. always. I've gotten bad reviews plenty of times. Right. So what can I learn from? Where can I
1: grow? I like it. Question five. Heavy fire, and tenable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle, or first in on VES?
0: Uh, nozzle. I, I mean, I'm an engine guy, so my answer is going to be nozzle. Uh, my intent is to beat them there with the nozzle. Like that's there that's how I'm going to train. That's how I'm going to set up the rig. That's going to put my gear like like suit to nuts. Like I come in with the mindset, starting with like even getting rest the night before. My goal is to beat those guys VES. If they get there first, that's still a win because I'm putting the fire out. I'm protecting that, you know, tenable space. But, um, like, I'm not – to say BES. is not a wrong answer. But for me, it's like, well, where's the celebrity in it, right? Like, I want to be dragging the body out. I want to be on camera doing that. No, I've got a role. I know what my role is on the engine company. Like, I'm going to put the fire out. And, like, that's how we win. And if you grab a victim rescue, like I'm as much a part of that, even if you drug them out of a house that was never exposed to any anybody the fire, I'm fighting. Like I'm still part of this. And that's the idea of a team. And so yeah, nozzle all day long. Plus I don't get to be on the nozzle a lot. So nozzle, nozzle, there you nozzle.
1: Go. nozzle. <laughs> Flow and go, get there first. I like the answer. I like the That's answer. Right. That's the five questions yeah. for firefighters. That's Benjamin Martin answering the five questions for firefighters. Catching up here, Scott Lawson came in and said, hi, guys, from Capital World of Bourbon, Bardstown, Kentucky. So he said hi. Michael Oswalt said thank you for answering his question earlier. Hannah Elliott said excellent. Thank you. You're covering everything so well. I'm struggling to come up with more questions. So – <laughs> huge compliment we'll do a part
0: uh, two i have never yeah, seen hannah not you.
1: have more questions so that's that's awesome that she said that uh, <laughs> uh, the training officer chimed in and said totally agree i relied on a solid senior guy when i promoted to sergeant he helped me tremendously there's no doubt about it man those those uh leaders from informal positions did i say it right
0: yeah, yeah it leading is. from informal positions
1: leading from informal positions those are so important and then Hannah Elliott, just to prove that her earlier comment was wrong, she said, and I'm throwing this at you because we're, we've, we've gone way over time. So if you need to go, let me know. But she yeah. said, when you as a leader are looking for someone under your direction to succeed, what does that mean?
0: Uh, I think it, it's, it's back to the fifth thing, right? So it's, what are they trying to do? Um, So if if I think success, if I think their success is what it looks like for me, that may not be at all. Um, There have been people that I need to be more into the job. And when they get excited and they go to class and they come back and they say, Hey, I loved it. I'm going to the next one. And I'm like, yes, good. Success. And then there are people that are into the job and they're like, Hey, I'm going to a class. I'm like, no, no. You just told me your wife threw you out. Like, no, go home. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, So I think for me, like, If I can listen to somebody and I can check in with them and say, Hey, I hear you're saying this, is this what you want to pursue? And then every chance I get, I can force a door open for them to walk through and they walk through it. Even if they don't necessarily nail it, walking through it, like they trip and stumble through it, they're still through it. Right. And now we get to go do another door and maybe it's a little bit more graceful. Um, I talk about like that ranks leadership being, it's like a cheater bar on a, a, you know, Halligan ball, right? You give that cheater bar to somebody that's been training with that tool that knows the ins and outs of an inward outward swinging door and, and what parts of the tool they want to use. And you know, very quickly when you watch somebody, especially with the forks you're like, nah, that's the wrong way on the right, bevel, right? right? You get that person a cheater bar that's been drilling with it and it multiplies their ability to then do what they were already good at. And so when you give rank to people that are already training with the rookies, that are already sitting committees that are already passionate about the job and doing the right things, they're only going to do more of those things. You give it to somebody who's selfish and doesn't give a shit. They're only going to do more of that. They're only going to see, Oh, I get rewarded for being into me. And then they're going to carry that on. And they're going to like destroy people along the way. And I've seen that. I've lost friends to that. Unfortunately, I almost became like, that's, that's the problem with that. Um, so for success, like when you get this chance to lead, whether it's from an informal position or from a formal position, make opportunities for others and then root them on, pick them up when they fail and see how it was, right? Don't just watch them walk through these doors, right? Go through it with them. And I'm not saying you got to go through every challenge with right. them, but if you're asking them how it's going and you're asking them what they learn, they're going to get so much more out of that opportunity you've created for them than not. Um, and I see this all the time. There's a, a guy... Who's a lieutenant. He bought a lieutenant. Regist- he bought a couple registrations for his guys to come to our conference. Okay? Because he wanted them to have that opportunity. He spent his own money. And people do this all the time. They show up and donate their time to help a guy fix a kitchen sink or move something in their yard or take a road trip. And, like, when you show up for people and they succeed, I'm, I'm just freaking – how awesome is that? Dude,
1: yeah, 100%. Um,
0: and I can't – and I can't, and I can't tell you what it looks like because it's different for everybody. Right. Um, but I can't tell you, you'll know it because you'll feel it. This sense of pride, you'll know it. Uh, the smile on their face, the, the pep in their step, like, you'll know. And when they're winning at life, you're winning at life. Like that's, right that's the best part about being a leader because here's the reality. Those moments are far more seldom than the bad ones. Right. Right. So when you can get those moments, enjoy them relaxing them don't think that you've got to rush to the next one because the next shit sandwich is coming right around the corner and, and that's just 51 percent, yeah and you got to eat 51 percent, and it's not personal it's it's to be expected which is why we embrace resistance <laughs>
1: there it is hey i can say this i am 100 percent stealing the cheater bar analogy because that is one of the best analogies i've ever heard for for a badge and uh i'm gonna steal that we have a majors academy coming up next week i'm gonna use it in there So, I hope you don't mind. I'm using the cheater bar analogy. So, uh, yeah.
0: And so, the the biggest thing, Coralie, with that analogy is it implies that you're working, right? (laughs) You don't put the cheater bar on there and hand it to somebody else and tell them what to do. Like, you're still in there forcing the damn door. Right on. Because you know what to do now. Like, that's the biggest thing.
1: And Hannah Elliott did remind us of the butt pendulum. So, I do love the butt pendulum. That's right. I'm not.
0: Swinging butt pendulum.
1: I'm torn now between (laughs) butt pendulum and and the cheater bar. Uh, Just. you know, just
0: don't just don't get them mixed up because a, 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 a cheater bar in the butt is not is not gonna not gonna come across well.
1: Nothing ends well there. <laughs> okay, guys. No, not at all. Benjamin Martin, I seriously I cannot believe we got through two questions out of the eight I had planned. So you're coming back, and I'm going to make you come <laughs> to that. And it was so much fun. I had such a blast. Everybody who asked questions, thank you guys. You are truly what made this a blast. Um, other absolutely. than absolutely uh, coming up. Uh, Jonathan Brumley uh, Jason Patton, Fire Department Chronicles John Lovato, Dennis Riley, Gary Lane Lars Axelson. I'm actually having my first international guest, Lars Axelson, coming from the Swedish Fire Nerd so yeah, it's going to be exciting Um, that's all coming up down the pipe for the Weekly Scrap Uh, today it was Weekly Scrap number 46 with Embrace the Resistance Butt Pendulums and Cheater Bars Benjamin Martin, thank you sir for coming on
0: thanks for having me, I really enjoyed it
1: For everybody that watched, uh, thank you for the questions. I hope the tone stays silent for everyone unless it is burning. And I will see you next time. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe
2: and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.